Welcome to episode 17 of Becoming a Data Scientist podcast. I'm Renee Teet. It's been a long time, hasn't it? I actually still have two episodes from season two that I need to finish and release, but I recently recorded this special episode at a conference that I helped plan, and I wanted to go ahead and release it. This was the very first live episode of the podcast, recorded in front of an audience at TomTom Fest Applied Machine Learning Conference in Charlottesville, Virginia in April 2019. My guest is Andrew Terrio, who I'll introduce in the episode, who was also a keynote speaker at the conference. This session was in the beginner-friendly track of the conference, which was sponsored by MTech, that's M-T-E-Q. I'll thank them and the other sponsors of the conference at the end of the podcast, so please stick around for that. So here's my live interview with Andrew Terrio at the Applied Machine Learning Conference. Thanks all for uh, joining us today. If you weren't here for the first session, my name is Caitlin Dreisbach. I'm a graduate student at the University of Virginia and a proud member of the AMLC Steering Committee. We'll kick off today. Um, I want to introduce Renee Tate, who you probably all are very familiar with at this point. Um, but she's a data scientist at Helio Campus from Harrisonburg, Virginia. And she is going to be introducing Andrew Terrio uh, for her uh, data science podcast here today. So take it away. All right. Welcome everybody to the first ever live recording of a Becoming a Data Scientist episode. <laughs> All right. Um, I've actually not only not done a live studio recording now, but I've also never done a podcast recording right across from my interviewee where it's always over the internet. So this is all new for me. So uh, welcome, and let's say hi again to all the Becoming a Data Scientist podcast listeners that will be hearing this afterward. <laughs> all right. I'm here and I'm really excited to present our guest that many of you have heard of. Um, I first became aware of him when he was the founding director of the data science, of director of data science for the Democratic National Committee. And then he became the chief data officer of a major city, Boston. And now he works as manager of infrastructure data science at Facebook. So welcome, Andrew Terrio. Thank you. All right. So those that are familiar with my podcast know that the first question I always ask is do you consider yourself to be a data scientist? Yeah, absolutely. And I think part of that is because I take a really broad view of what data science means. You know, I don't think it's just fancy machine learning models and all that. I think data science is everything from, you know, basic data management and analytics all the way up through that. So I, I give a very inclusive view about what data science is. So yeah, I think even though I'm in management now, I'd still consider myself a data scientist. All right, great. And before we get into your current data science world, let's go all the way back to your past. So when you were young, were you interested in math and computer science and the type of things that people typically associate with data science? Uh, yeah, for the most part. I mean, I, I was definitely a math and science kid. I got my first computer when I was three. Um, I learned to read by playing Mickey Mouse's Space Adventure <laughs> back in the days before uh, there were sound cards. And so it just said, said things on the screen. And I don't know, this might be apocryphal at this point. I was three, but... Supposedly, uh, you know, at one point my dad just got fed up with me asking what everything meant and finally he said, figure it out for yourself. And I, so I did. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I studied, you know, math and science all through high school. But then actually, once I got to college, um, I didn't really do any of that. Um, I never took a math or science or computer science course in college um, beyond, I think, maybe the basic, you know, requirements. Um, I focused mainly on uh, political science as well as... Um, actually did creative writing, dramatic literature, acting, kind of didn't know what I wanted to do. So coming to data science in a way was coming around full circle. 
So speaking of college, you have three degrees in politics and political science. So um, walk us through your formal education. Talk about some of the projects you did, um, the skills you learned throughout those degrees that inform your work now as a data scientist. Yeah, so I think my undergrad um, you know, wasn't really very relevant to what I do now. Um, I sampled a lot of things, didn't really know what I wanted to do. Honestly, I think part of the reason I majored in political science was it was the thing I was interested in which required the fewest credits to graduate. Um, but then, you know, I, I graduated and was out in the real world for a few years. And um, one of the things I did was that I worked on the 2004 campaign. Um, I moved out to Ohio and was doing field organizing there. And, you know, what I learned from that experience was that I really enjoyed working in politics, um, but I absolutely never wanted to carry a clipboard ever again. <laughs> so I figured, like, I need to find a way that I can be useful here. And what was I good at? Well, I was good at computers and math and science and stuff. So you know, maybe I should use that instead. Um, but I didn't know what that meant. And so, uh, you know, I kind of did what a lot of people do, which is when you don't know what to do, go to grad school. <laughs> and so, uh, so that's what I did. And, you know, the funny thing is about it that um, this idea of what I wanted to do when I graduated, um, you know, I was really naive because I had this job in mind um, for what I wanted to get out of going to grad school that I didn't realize didn't actually exist at that point in time. Um, fortunately, by the time I graduated, it did exist, and I had almost accidentally spent five years preparing for it, which is political data scientist. Um, so I went into a really quant-heavy PhD program at NYU. Um, it's almost more like an econ or stats program with a politics focused. So it was when you were in your master's program that you first heard about data science and started moving that direction? Uh, I mean, I wouldn't even, I didn't really think of it as data science. It was mm -hmm. just sort of quantitative political science. Mm -hmm. So like, I was coding on day one of grad school. Um, you know, but we were thinking of it more in terms of econometrics, traditional statistical modeling. Um, you know, I did almost all of grad school in Stata. Um, I had a couple things in R, but, you know, by the time that I learned about R, I was so deep into uh, technical debt with Stata that I just kind of went all the way with that. Um, so, you know, I did a dissertation looking at, um, you know, how, how politicians talk about different policy issues and campaigns and how that affects public opinion, um, you know, working on things like, uh, you know, new methods of time series analysis for panel surveys, that sort of thing. Um, so there was a real sort of methodological focus, uh, but it was really all within that political science area. You know, at that point, I didn't think of myself as doing data science. So can you talk about a specific project that you think uh, really informed the work that you do now? Um, yeah, sure. I think probably the most uh, sophisticated part of my dissertation was this project which took um, this really massive, at least by academic standards, I guess, this massive data set uh, which contained every single uh, airing of a TV advertisement, a political ad, in the 2000 and 2004 campaigns across the top 100 media markets in the country. So, you know, we're talking hundreds of thousands of different observations. And what I did was to map that together with a really large uh, pair of panel surveys, one from each year, with, um, you know, one had, I think, about 65,000 people, another had 81,000. And so what I was able to do is to map out how um, you know, exposure to advertising in each of those elections uh, varied at the level of the individual survey respondent. Because you know, they, they varied in terms of when they were interviewed and which media markets they lived in. So I could connect that to calculate their individual level of potential exposure and then look at how that was related to the changes in their perceptions of political candidates. Interesting. 
That's cool. So you um, are talking about your dissertation and your PhD. So you have a terminal degree in your field. Uh, what's your opinion about um, people pursuing a master's or a PhD in order to become a data scientist? You know, I, I think it's an easy fallback plan, but one piece of advice I'd give is that um, it was useful for me because it was in a specific subject. You know, I don't know if I would have gotten as much out of it if it was a more generic data science program. And, and you know, not to knock those, um, I think, you know, it's been great to watch the development of data science graduate programs. The one piece of advice I'd give is even if you're going that direction, um, to find an area to focus in, um, particularly because, you know, four or five years ago, there was this feeling that there's a, a you know, real shortage of data scientists in the world and it's the hottest job market and the market responded and now we're flooded with junior data scientists um, because a lot of people signed up to go down that track. And so if you're somebody in that position, how do you distinguish yourself? It's not being slightly better at using pandas and scikit-learn, it's having some expertise in a particular area. That's how you can stick out from you know, the people around you in the same way. I think what made me uh, be able to have some success in data science is that, you know, not only did I bring technical skills, but I knew the subject, the subject matter I was working on, and that's where I started. And that's a really good point, because I always recommend to people that they pick uh, a project and find a data set that allows them to dig in as something they're interested in and then learn the skills they need as they go. Um, when you were learning, were you mostly taking formal classes in these type of uh, quantitative analysis, or were you teaching yourself as you went? A little bit of both. So when I was in grad school, um, we did have a pretty intensive quant sequence. You know, we, we had in our program um, three, a three-semester sequence of quantitative analysis. And then after that, you know, I had other things like game theory within the department and also went over to the business school, took uh, econometrics over there with actually the guy who wrote the textbook for the, the previous class I'd taken. And we really worked through some of the things I'd already learned, but did it from sort of from scratch, you know, working through the linear algebra to really understand how th these things work on the inside. So, you know, that part I learned a lot while I was in formal classes. But then, you know, after that, particularly after graduate school, um, I was almost entirely self-taught. You know, I, I taught myself Python and SQL and, you know, everything that isn't what you would normally find in an academic uh, fortunately, I think people are starting to learn those in school more and more. Uh, but when I was doing it, you know, we were using statistical programming software, which is very different from what you often end up using in the real world. Yeah, so there's so many different topics under the umbrella of data science that people can learn, and you just mentioned a bunch of them. How did you decide what to learn first and then what to learn next? What guided that self-learning? Honestly, it really depended on um, the projects I was working on. So, like, for example, um, you know, I mentioned, I, I joked about the technical debt of Stata, uh, but part of that for me was that, you know, not only was that what was used um, in the academic world very, very commonly, but also, you know, it was, was, and I think to some degree still is, um, a real standard in the survey research world, which was, you know, part of the, the substantive focus of my, uh, my education was on things like survey research methodology. And so I actually got really good at using that because that's what I needed in that particular environment. Um, but that said, you know, I ran into a project, um, was actually building um, uh, some micro-targeting models um, for an international election and realized the existing tools that we had, um, it just wasn't going to cut it. That's how I learned Python, because I realized I'm trying to make Stata do something that it's just not designed to do. And so that's what drove me to then decide, all right, well, I've got to learn the tool that I need for the job. And I think, 
you know, that was the, the case for a lot of what I did. But you know, for example, I didn't actually learn SQL beyond select statements until I actually got to the DNC um, because I never actually worked on a database. I was always using you know, data sets that uh, were pre-prepped and maybe I was importing from a CSV, but I didn't have to worry about working on a production database until I got to a place where now we had a big uh, data warehouse that you know, had more data than we could put on a single computer. So, I mean, that's great, and I do the same thing, kind of learn as you go, learn what's needed. What tips do you have for people that are doing that? Like, if you're in the midst of a project and you get asked to do something that you don't have the background for, how do you learn it? Um, I mean, first off, you know, almost anything you run into, somebody else has, has done before. So, Stack Overflow is your friend. Um, tutorials are your friend. You know, that said, it's worth going back and learning some of the basics when you have time. Um, you know, I'm kind of old-fashioned. I'm a fan of reading books, um, particularly books from, you know, the authors of different software packages, like, you know, Pandas for Data, or Python for Data Analysis by Wes McKinney. Still just a classic because, you know, it's, I mean, nobody understands Pandas better than Wes McKinney because he made it. And uh, it really helps to understand how these things work from the basic level. But, you know, when you have a new challenge uh, that you have to come up with a solution to right away, you know, that's where Stack Overflow and, and looking through tutorials and all that will help you get up and running pretty quickly. Okay, very cool. So you talked about a lot about your education and your learning. How did you get your first job after you finished school and how did your career path launch? Yeah, so um, after grad school, I did a postdoc at Vanderbilt for a year and um, I went on the academic job market and like many people, um, you know, much of the data science industry, uh, that did not go well for me, and I found myself in January realizing, okay, I have to come up with a new plan. Um, so I started applying to different kinds of quantitative analysis jobs, and actually came down to two options. One was to basically go and be the the analytics person at a small survey firm, uh, and the other was actually a startup with um, a couple uh, researchers from Caltech that I knew through the political science world. Um, one was a professor who was um, you know, best friend of my advisor in graduate school. The other was one of his grad students. They'd been working uh, as consultants on the Obama campaign. This was early 2012. And then they got another big project and decided to start a firm. And so I ended up being their first hire. Um, decided, you know, that was a bit more of an interesting opportunity to build something and grow something. Uh, and so, yeah, so that was, you know, basically through a personal connection. And I worked there for a year and a half. So it sounds like networking was an important aspect of getting your job. So yeah. Can, um, you, can you walk us through like <laughs> your career path and yeah. what led you to choose each next job as you went through and how, how you did that? Yeah, so I mean, to be honest, like networking for me has been how I've built my career. I mean, honestly, I have not applied cold to a job in, since I started in this because, um, you know, I think this is an industry that's big enough and diverse enough that um, you know, it's, there's a lot of people with skills and it's really hard to understand, you know, what their particular strengths are uh, without really knowing a person. And so personal recommendations, I think, matter a lot. So um, I often joke that, you know, I wouldn't work at Facebook um, if it weren't for Twitter. Uh, but actually, I think I could probably say that about the past four jobs I've had. That you got job offers through Twitter? It wasn't through Twitter. Um, but for me, that's been my main source of networking. Right. Um, the, the me Twitter, too, as many of you yeah. know. <laughs> uh, I mean, the data science community on Twitter is awesome. And I think if you're not involved with it, don't be afraid. Everybody is really nice and friendly. And, you know, I've, what I found is you can reach out to total strangers and get to know them. And what's happened is, you know, I've been able to use that to find 
how to go from one place to another. So for example, um, with that first job, it was a startup, as startups do, uh, it ran into some money problems. Um, and we had actually taken on a client because uh, I knew somebody on Twitter who was a data scientist at this survey research firm. And I found out, he gave me a heads up when he was leaving. And uh, we ended up pitching them to fill in some of their gaps when, when he left. So uh, I ended up consulting for them. And then the startup started going south. And I decided to just hap uh, haphazardly mention that I was thinking of moving back to the East Coast and got a job offer three days later. Um, and then you know, from there, I, the next stop was the DNC. And the reason I got to know the people leading technology at the DNC was that um, I was introduced by somebody else I knew from the political data world. And that was somebody I'd initially connected to on Twitter. Uh, then from there, the, the job of the city of Boston, um, you know, I was introduced to my future boss by um, you know, a friend of mine from the DC political tech world. And again, it's somebody who I'd first interacted with on Twitter. Um, and then getting to Facebook, uh, I was recruiting, you know, the main person who was uh, convincing me to go over there was Brandon Rohrer, um, who I think a lot of you might know from Twitter. Um, you know, he's somebody that I'd known professionally for a while, and when I moved to Boston, um, ended up getting to know him personally. And he was a strong advocate of me coming over there when I decided it was time for me to leave City Hall. That's great. So you built a team of people that were advocating for you through that job search. Um, so give us some examples of um, projects that you did at each of those careers. What was your role and your title? Um, and you know, what did you do that kind of advanced your career? And how did you decide what to do next? Yeah. Um, well, I think that's 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 a big question. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, I think the the role I've had consistently, um, even now, even though it's not my title, is consultant. Um, so you know, the first two jobs, the the um, the analytics startup and then the survey firm, you know, in both cases, um, I was literally a consultant. People would hire me to do things like, um, you know, for example, do, um, you know, respondent clustering of, of survey results to identify different types of, um, you know, different types of voters, something like that. Or, um, you know, we had this one project um, really interesting involving healthcare enrollment outreach. And we had done political micro-targeting in the 2012 campaign. And we worked with a nonprofit who, um, we, who was interested in getting people signed up for public health care programs, but realized they didn't know how to find them. And so reached out to us to help um, you know, identify people who not only uh, would be in need of coverage, but are also eligible based on the criteria of different uh, programs. You know, so we were able to use things like survey data and, and field contact results to build models that would help target that. Um, you know, and all that stuff really lent itself to the work that I did at the DNC, where you know we worked across a bunch of different areas. We did um, all of the the digital analytics related to the email and, and online fundraising programs. Um, we did targeting for direct mail and, and telemarketing, also for fundraising. Um, but then we also built a lot of, for example, voter contact models um, that were used by literally thousands of campaigns all across the country. Um, you know, we would be able to provide for every individual registered voter estimates of not only basic things like you know, their, their preferences for Democrats or Republicans or their likelihood of turning out, but also things like how likely they are to become a volunteer if we ask them to, or you know, where they stand on um, you know, particular policy issues, um, which can help tailor the, the contact strategies the campaigns use when they're talking to those voters. Um, so from there, going to, to City Hall, 
you know, it was a bit of a different challenge. Um, you know, this wasn't a case where I was running a pure data science team. We actually combined um, a lot of different areas under analytics. So we had, um, you know, your, your run-of-the-mill analytics and performance management work, you know, a lot of metric tracking and problem solving based on that. Um, we had a small data science group that did a few things like, for example, using predictive modeling for restaurant inspections. Um, but we also included the open data program. Uh, we included the all of the data engineering work and infrastructure work was done under my team and uh, all the GIS and spatial analytics um, that as well got combined. So, you know, in that case, it was more about building a program and getting all of these different pieces to work well together. Yeah, so I was going to ask, um, as a part of that, when you were building these programs, um, you're clearly hiring other data scientists. So what are some of the key things that you look for when you're hiring a data scientist? Yeah, so I think the, the thing that I'm less interested in is your ability now. You know, I, I, don't, I don't like doing coding interviews. Um, certainly, I, I'm not a big fan of whiteboarding, personally. Um, you know, sometimes there'll be take-home projects, things like that. But what I want to really see is the potential to learn. Because um, one of the things I found in every job is that I never know all the things I need to know to do that job uh, when I start. Um, every job, you know, you are net negative in terms of productivity for your first, you know, maybe three months. And if you're lucky and do well, you basically get back to uh, breaking even by six. So, you know, what I'm really interested in is finding somebody who can learn the things they need to do to do this job. Um, and what that really entails is looking for somebody who you know, shows that they have not only the aptitude, but the curiosity and interest to learn. Um, so like one of my standard interview questions is, you know, what's the most recent thing that you've learned and what are you most excited to learn next? Um, because what I want to see is that somebody has that mindset, that they don't think, hey, I know everything I need to know now. Um, you know, if you know everything you need to know now, I'm not really that interested. I might hire you as a consultant to use those skills, but I think the problems I'm going to have for you a year or two down the road are things that I don't know I need now. And, you know, we'll probably involve technologies that we're not using now um, because this world, you know, this industry changes really quickly. So I want somebody who's going to be able to grow and evolve over time and really become an expert at whatever is needed in the future, not just right now. Yeah, we're always learning all the time on the yeah. job. Um, so what is an example? So I tell people, you know, there's so many of these topics under the umbrella of data science, um, you really can pick an area to focus in on. And so what is the area in data science that you're, you consider your focus? And then uh, what do you recommend to people that are trying to figure out what to do within data science? Yeah, so for me, um, this sounds a little bit uh, paradoxical, but I think my specialty is being a generalist. Mm -hmm. and, and what I mean by that is, you know, I'm a generalist in terms of you know, my technical skills, I can do a, a little bit of a lot of things. I can do some things pretty well, um, but I wouldn't say I'm, you know, a, a true expert in any particular area. You know, I think my specialty here is that I can bring a wide range of different skills together. And the thing that I'm an expert in is research design and, and figuring out how to take all those different tools and apply them to solve a real world problem. Um, because I think that's one of the biggest challenges and, and one of the most underappreciated things about data science. Um, it's not just about the technical work. I think the technical work is a small part of it. I think Kaggle has lied to us uh, and made us think that you know data science is all about taking a data set and building the best model possible. I think that's 2% of the job. You know, The biggest part of the job is basically figuring out what the question is you're trying to answer and how you even start. I think the most important things in data science happen with pen and paper 
not with code. Um, and so, you know, from there, I think that's the thing that is really hard to learn and where experience matters a lot. Um, but for me, it did help to study research design when I was in grad school. I think that, as much as anything, is what's relevant to me now. Um, thinking about things like, you know, if you need to identify some kind of causal relationships, like how can you do that in a valid way? How do you make sure you have the data that will show you what you need to know? Um, because you can be as good at coding as anybody, but if you don't understand how to set up your analysis from the first part, your code is worthless. So I think that's the, the most important thing for me. Um, and you know, it's the thing I would recommend a lot of people get to understand is, you know, how, what, what does fundamental research look like? Even if you're using this in an applied context, ultimately data science is about, you know, about putting together information that can be used for practical purposes. And that is research one way or another. And so figuring out how to, how to get the information you need to answer the questions you have um, is really at the core of everything we do. I totally agree with everything you just said. <laughs> Excellent. Um, so who have you looked up to throughout your career? How did that affect your career choices and the, the skills that you decided to learn? And then um, and on an ongoing basis, what resources do you rely on for, for ongoing inspiration and information? Yeah, so I think in my career, um, you know, given the, the age of the data science field, um, you know, I haven't had any clear mentors who've been doing the same thing that I wanted to do for a long time because we all kind of figured it out as we were going. And so, um, you know, what I've really looked to um, are two things. One is my peers, um, because there are a lot of people in this field who are doing great things. And, you know, certainly um, having everyone learn together is really much more useful than trying to figure it all out for yourself. So watching and, and talking with people in the field uh, is really helpful. The other is, you know, look for subject matter experts because I think data science in large part is all about partnerships. Um, one of the things I often tell people is that, uh, you know, data scientists don't actually do anything. What we do is we help other people to do what they do better. And so uh, it's fundamental that you learn from the people that you're partnering with, you know, the subject matter experts, the people who are going to be taking the results of your model and actually applying it in the field. Um, you know, they know things you don't because they've been working in that area for a while. And so learning from them will make you a better data scientist because you'll understand how to connect what you do to the needs of the project. That's great. So we're going to take some questions from the audience in just a minute. So you all think of some questions that you want to ask Andrew. But um, for one last thing, do you have any general advice for people that want to become a data scientist? Yeah. I mean, I think I mentioned some of it already around, you know, getting to know a particular subject so you can distinguish yourself. But I think there's also a flip side of that, which is also that it's important to learn some of the basics. Um, one of the things that I never studied was computer science. And I've realized, I think, you know, that's held me back because there are a lot of things I've had to learn the hard way because I didn't take a computer science 101 course. And honestly, even just doing that online probably would have saved me a lot of uh, learning the hard way because I didn't understand some of those basics. So, you know, as much as I say, find an area that you can specialize in, I think it's also important to make sure that you understand some of the fundamentals of the tools you're working in. Great point. All right, so we're going to take a couple audience questions. We have a few minutes, um, and Kate's going to help pass around the microphone. All right, so what questions do you all have for Andrew? Um, my question is about, um, I feel like I've seen a lot more ads in the past year or so for like, oh, open AI platform, this, that, other AI, whatever. Uh, kind of wondering, like, do you see those as, say, potential 
threat to the sort of work we do, a supplement, or just like totally relevant, someone's trying to make money off of like easy stuff that's you know, too generalized. Yeah, I mean, I think the, the VC industry is pretty vicious right now and you know, seeing uh, AI as an opportunity to make a billion dollars. But I think I, I've, I've been watching this long enough to see a cycle emerge, which is that um, it's easy to fall into the trap to think you know, AI and machine learning and data science can be made easy and ultimately can be done without data scientists. I remember maybe five years ago, um, you know, Google and Amazon and a few other places were all about like offering these automated machine learning tools that don't require data scientists. And I think what they missed in that was realizing, you know, they're, it's much better if they could actually work with data scientists um, because data scientists are the ones who can translate the problems into the technical solution. And that's where I think, you know, any of these platforms that promises AI for free, um, you know, or, or without any hassle, um, you're missing the hard part, which is figuring out how that's actually useful to the real world problem. And that's something that I'm really not worried that data scientists will get replaced for. Um, you know, I think those tools, when used at their best, help make data scientists more productive. But when used without data scientists, they're mostly marketing gimmicks. Okay, we have another question over here. I have a very early stage startup and I was wondering what trends should we be looking out for in terms of in in like the data science field that we should be incorporating into early stage startups so that we're not behind. Um, and I'm, I'm just interested to know about your take. Yeah, I, I think that's interesting. I think I, I might be a little old fashioned in this and maybe I'm not really as, as attuned to the needs of the startup, the early stage startup that if you want to get bought out by somebody who sees the hype about AI and gives you a huge check, um, don't follow my advice. But if you want to build good data science and machine learning products, um, my advice is get, get the fundamentals right. I think one thing you'll learn is if you talk to a lot of um, more experienced data scientists, um, the model they use most is probably logit models or linear regressions. Um, you know, I think it's nice and, and uh, it's the sexy thing to do to apply deep learning to everything, but it's a waste of resources, and often your models will be worse. Um, you know, keep it simple. Um, you know, the old saying is that uh, attributed to Einstein was that you know everything should be uh, as simple as possible, but no simpler. Um, you know, I think the same goes for models. That uh, start out with the most basic things that will get the job done, and only make it more complicated from there. Um, so, for your particular situation. I don't think you should be as concerned about what is the latest and greatest trend. Um, I think you know it's perfectly fine to give that stuff a little time to shake out and see which what things stick. I think what's more important is to get the fundamentals right. Just from the point of view, of, I guess the theme of the of the day today is about essentially responsible data science. So I was wondering if you could, as someone responsible for uh, teach helping teach responsible data science, I'm just wondering. Uh, what you would see as what you're looking for in folks that come along with respect to the sort of ethical considerations, how they should have been trained and so forth? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. I think the, the most underrated part of what we do is data governance. Um, you know, really understanding the end-to-end -end flow of data and what the, the implications are, not only, you know, if that data is used and accessed as intended, um, but also thinking through the risks. So this gets to things like security and privacy. Um, you know, I, I wrote a Medium piece about this, uh, I think a year or two ago, uh, about data security for data scientists. And one of my key pieces of advice there was that 
Um, you know, you shouldn't collect or keep any data that uh, you don't need. And you know, if you aren't sure you're able to protect it, you shouldn't have it in the first place because not having data is the only way to keep it safe. Um, and I think it's really important that somebody who works with sensitive data is really attuned not only to like what it's being used for right now, but what are all the things that could go wrong. And I think the same applies to things like machine learning, where you know you should not only think about um, you know how you're using the model to solve a problem, but also say how someone else might misinterpret or misuse what you're creating and apply it in a way that has a negative impact um, you know, on your customers, on the public, on a business, on, on you know, anything that's affected by what it is you're producing. I think we have time for one more very quick question. And I have a favor to ask the audience at the end. I would like to take an audience selfie with us, so if you can, all can stay around after this last question. Um, so you mentioned um, not having a computer science 101 background. Um, for someone who also did not really have a data science, computer science background, what do you recommend for learning those skills? Do you re recommend online classes or? Um, I mean, I think there's, there are a lot of options. I think one of the, the, key piece, the key general pieces of advice is find the learning approach that works for you. Some people do great with online courses. Some people like doing tutorials. Some people read books. Um, you know, some people go to classes. I can't tell you what works best for you, um, but I think you know, learning something like computer science is much like any other skill you learn. Like, there is a way that, that fits best for you. Um, and at the end of the day, you're going to have to do some of the work to really nail it down. So how you collect that information in the first place is really just a matter of personal choice. Great. Thank you so much, Andrew, for being on our first yeah, live Becoming a Data Scientist podcast. Thank Thanks for having me. So many thanks to Andrew Terrio for joining me for that awesome interview. If you'd like to connect with him, you could find him on Twitter at TerrioPhD. That's at T-H-E-R-R-I-A-U-L-T-P-H-D. And you could find me and the audience selfie mentioned in this episode at becomingadatascientist.com or on Twitter at becomingdatasci. I would like to thank the sponsors of the TomTomFest Applied Machine Learning Conference, which included the University of Virginia Data Science Institute, SMP Global, Elder Research, Castle Hill Gaming, CCRI, MTech, Helio Campus, Booz Allen Hamilton, Astrea, Scafos.ai, and TwinThread. You can find all of their logos and websites at the bottom of the conference website, where you can also check out the other speakers, and that's at tomtomfest.com slash machine-learning. Also, stay tuned on Twitter for the 2019 Summer of Data Science Activities starting this week. Check out the hashtag SODS19. See you there!